Welcome to Real Men Feel. I am your host, Andy Grant. Thank you for joining us today as we explore relationships with sociopaths. There is an attraction and an ease in blaming a woman, even expanding that to be all women, when you have a relationship full of lies and manipulation. But there is a better way. There is healing, there is growth, there is an honest, healthy love outside of that experience. If you are tired of feeling the shame of your current or past relationships, go to theandygrant.com slash talk and let's discuss it and get you out of that victimhood. Again, go to theandygrant.com slash talk because you deserve love. My returning guest today is Mike Sherrick. Mike is an executive coach, speaker, and author of the upcoming book, Manhood Manifesto. He was also in a long-term relationship with a sociopath. I often say that silence kills men. And speaking openly about being in an abusive relationship is not something most men are comfortable doing. Thankfully, Mike isn't most men. Mike talks about his resistance to sharing this part of his life, as well as the shame that went along with it. We talk about the lure of the chaos, of the intense sex that can make us ignore the warning signs of narcissism. Mike stresses the importance of taking responsibility and self-love. And I don't mean masturbation. Let's get into it. Hey, Mike, welcome back to Real Men Feel. It's good to see you again. Thank you. It's great to be back. Cool. You know, I want to give some backstory. So Mike was a guest just a few months ago, I think, maybe even less. It was an episode entitled How Men Must Lead, all about taking responsibility. Leadership was episode 238, if you want to find that. After that show, I was sharing with Mike that a program I had done back in 2019, episode 149 with Ami Quirconi, entitled Men in Emotionally Abusive Relationships Dealing with Feminine Narcissists. And it had a couple, you know, hundred views, like most of the episodes on YouTube do. But then something happened this year. Earlier this year, it just caught fire and it quickly went to over 54,000 views. And more importantly, hundreds of comments, hundreds of guys telling their story. And so I mentioned it to Mike. And after we recorded Mike's prior episode, he shared a bit of a past experience. And I asked him if he would like to talk about that. And no, he didn't. <laughs> but then he came around. So, and even just before we started rolling today, you talked about your resistance to speaking of this. So let's start there. What is the resistance to, to opening up about this experience of yours? It's real simple, Andy. It's the shame of it. The shame that I would put myself in that situation. The shame that I would make the decisions I would make. The shame on what the attraction was built on. And the shame on who I was being during it. You know, these were not my proudest moments and it went on for a long time. It was highly destructive and inexpensive in so many ways, emotionally, physically, spiritually, personally, financially. And I was a willful participant in it. And then when, you know, you invited me into doing this, I'm reluctant. And at first I was going to just come in and flame the young lady, right? And just, uh, she's this and she's that. And, you know, yeah, she's a sociopath, but listen, it takes two to tangle, you know, and I really, you know, for the last two weeks, I've been really inquiring, like, what is my responsibility in this? You know, what, what is there for me to own? And also, what is there for me to learn? That's the part that has been 
the real gift of this, right? But also it's just the sheer insanity and chaos of it, you know? Like it was crazy. So yeah, what looking back, why do you call that relationship? Why do you see that was a sociopathic relationship? The reason I think it was a sociopathic relationship was I, after it ended, I had to go to therapy, right? I mean, I was in therapy and I'm sitting, I'm talking to therapists and I mentioned the woman's name and, you know, I live outside Chicago and I was, I live out in Naperville and I'm just going to a therapist who was in Naperville. And what I didn't know is the therapist lived in River Forest where this woman lived and literally lived less than a block away from her and was in the same women's kind of empowerment group with her and actually knew her just by pure cosmic happenstance, right? And so she said something to me. It was probably after six or seven sessions. She said, listen, I'm just going to cut to the chase because I was like beating the shit out of myself, right? I'm like beating the crap out of myself. I'm an idiot that this and this and this. She's, listen, there's nothing wrong with you. She's a sociopath. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and when she said that, it was like this weight was lifted off me. Like, not that I was a victim to it, but I was trying to figure it out, you know? And there's nothing to figure out with that. I made a bad choice and I stayed in it. And, you know, I can look and see why I stayed in it, but I didn't know what I got into, man. It's like that thing had way more horsepower than I had capability to manage, right? Yeah. And that's really what it was. And that was really the freeing moment. She was a sociopath. She lied constantly. She manipulated constantly. I never knew where I stood. And somehow it distorted, like, I imagine in the moment you didn't see, oh, I'm being lied to and manipulated. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. No, dude, the sex was off the chart, right? <laughs> so that's all it was. That was the blinders. That's all. I, that was the thing I was addicted to. It was amazing, right? And so I kept going back for that, even though the cost was so, so great. And I think we touched base on this in the first time I was on. One of the challenges with dudes is this idea of winning at all costs. And so I, I viewed winning as having this incredible sexual experience and all cost was every other aspect of my life. Mm. And it was like, holy cow. It was nuts. It was just nuts. So you mentioned in the past couple of weeks, looking at what was your responsibility, what was there to learn from a relationship. Had you not done that until now, until this recently? I hadn't done it with her. Oh, no. I, I mean, I've asked that question, but, you know, this, this went on a while ago, but I, I didn't do it. You know, I just, I thought I was in love. I thought we had this spiritual connection. I thought we were this full intimacy that was just incredibly exotic sexual experiences, right? So I was collapsing the two, and I didn't know. And I just was completely and utterly irresponsible and arrogant, you know? So, no, I didn't think about it. I didn't look. It was like, it was hot. Let's get it on. Yeah, know? that topped any possible issue. And I get that. Like my relationship like this was much the same way. There, there's a hook of the drama and the roller coaster and the ups and downs. It all adds to the crazy excitement of sexual energy and Exactly. And it adds to the chaos, the thrill of the whole thing, you know? It was nuts. It was just plain nuts. And then you throw in drugs and alcohol and other stuff, and it's just it gets even crazier. So in hindsight, were there warning signs you missed or ignored? Not too many. She was really clever. I mean, she was really good. She had nine simultaneous relationships going on at the same time. Was that an open relationship? Was that part of your agreement? Oh, or that was a surprise? Okay. We bought a house together. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, no, no. It was a complete surprise. But she traveled for work, right? And in every town she worked in, she had a dude. And sometimes she had more than one dude. And in Chicago, she had two dudes, you know? I mean, she had an incredible lustful appetite for, you know, carnal pleasure. And she, and she made no bones about it. I mean, she was, yeah. 
Was this relationship an anomaly or is this kind of one in a series? Is this the kind of things that you did follow? Did you like the drama and the, the chaos of relationships? Well, this relationship was an on and off relationship from the time I was 17 until I was like in my mid fifties. Oh, wow. You know, so it's been a thread of everything. I mean, it's almost destroyed me. I mean, seriously, it almost destroyed me. And so, no, I didn't, I never had another relationship like this. You know, this was not a series of, this was a unique thing. And what it did, it impacted, I mean, it cost me my marriage. It impacted other relationships I had. I'd be ever present. If there was someone else that I wanted to get together with, you know, this thing would pop up and it would ruin that. You know, it destroyed, just it destroyed just about every aspect of my life. What was the final straw that made an off again, on again thing be off for good? If it's off for good, maybe I'm oh, assuming oh, it, something. It, it, it's, it's off for good. I was faced with a, someone very close to me. My wife was diagnosed with a very severe form of cancer and uh, was given a short period of time to live. And who I had to be to be with her during that time, this couldn't be any part of that. What really happened was it got to the point where my life became so unworkable and I saw that that was the source of the unworkability. I just had to put it away. And I didn't do it in a way like I didn't call her out and call her names. I just said, listen, I can't do this anymore. You know, and I didn't hear from her. And then I heard from her later, but I just never got back into the whole thing. Yeah, because we had broken it off a hundred times before that, you know. But finally, just really getting clear that I don't know what it was. I, it was just a series of things. I got present to the destructive nature of it. I just didn't want to do it anymore, you know. I mean, it cost me jobs. It cost me probably millions of dollars. And I think also too, who I was going to be for my son. My son witnessed the strange behavior. He didn't know what the source of it was, but he witnessed the strange behavior. So, like I said, I probably was doing this till I was fifty-one or fifty-two. And it started when I was 17. You know, it's crazy. Did you ever come close or decide like that, oh, I should be marrying this woman? She's who I should be with forever? Or was it always just serious yet not formal or something? No, no, no. I thought about it, but then I also knew there was something a little bit off. You know, I was looking for that confirmation that, yeah, maybe she's the one and it never showed up. And I think that was part of it too. It was like looking for it over and over again. Because we had done everything together. We shared our lives together, but it was there was just something always missing. And I was astute enough to understand that without being present to it mostly. But I mean, we bought a house together, you know, but yeah, it was, didn't quite get there. Thank God. Was your wife aware that you had this on again, off again thing happening? That's why it cost me my marriage. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But she's, she's been remarkable. I mean, we're together now. And she's, she survived the cancer thing. I mean, that's that's the remarkable part. She was given six months to live. And this is 13 years ago. And she's fine now, you know? So in a weird way, this thing kind of gave me, I, I don't know if I'd be doing what I'm doing today if this didn't happen, you know? Like, because it had me really look at the real dark side, of, you know, that whole Jungian darkness, you know, and really fully own every aspect of that shadow side of my life. And it wasn't pretty, man. What I appreciate in you, at least now, I don't know about when this was immediately going on, your willingness to be introspective and to see that you had some responsibility, that there was action, you had some actions in this. Because what I see, especially the guys commenting and guys responding, and there's a tendency as a defense mechanism, I believe, for if a guy gets hurt, all women are, they're all psychos. They're all crazy. Oh, you can't trust them. And you get to escalate one experience into all experiences. Yeah. Did you do that? Did you see other guys doing that? Well, of course. I mean, I, I went through there. But what's really interesting is this whole thing occurred right about the time when I really started taking this transformational thing serious, right? I was, 
a seminar leader at Landmark Education and I was getting into being a professional coach and I was doing all this stuff. I was kind of done with the corporate leadership thing, which was my track and done with the macho stuff because it just wasn't paying off. And I was really in this kind of inquiry and started. And I discovered like every choice I made was bad. (laughs) And yeah, so of course I went through like women are bitches and this and that. But the fact of the matter is not true. There's some women out there that are, you know, you shouldn't hang with, but there's some guys out there you shouldn't hang with, you know, but it really is unless you look in the mirror and own yourself fully, you can't do anything about it. You just become a victim. And I get it, man. You know, the the thing is, the thing that this whole being with, you know, sociopaths or or narcissists does is it puts you in this position of shame, you know, and shame is a core wound really will put you in a condition of hopelessness. And when you're hopeless, there's almost no way out. It's tough. And I, I have very few times in my life have actually been in a condition of hopelessness. But, you know, when we started the show, that's the thing. I mean, this experience really had me be shameful. Because when you're shameful, it's just you just view yourself as a complete pile. I mean, that's what takes people to suicide and things like that. I never once had a thought of suicide, but that's how it gets there, you know. And as men, I think the thing we've got to be mindful with one another is to really, when we see a brother that's in shame, we got to be with that guy. Because... That's a dangerous condition to be. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, shame is one of the most destructive things, and it's one of the last things a man will ever want to admit to or own. We will cover it up. We will bury it. We will put blankets over it. We will wear a tuxedo. We will (laughs) do all that to cover it up, right? And we will not own our shame because it's we are bad. There is a flaw in us, you know? And no, dude, you just made a bad choice. And if you make a series of, you might want to start looking at the decision-making process, the wall of thinking, you know, what are you valuing? What are you trying to accomplish? That's a deep dive. That's a heavy conversation, you know, but I am of the belief very few people are inherently evil or wrong or bad or anything like As long as we're taking breath, it's recoverable. Yeah. I'm a walking testament to that. I should have been dead a million times. <laughs> you know, nobody should have talked to me. I was a jerk. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying about shame. Like, guilt is, oh, I did a bad thing. It's about the thing. It's about one action. And shame is, yeah, I, you internalize it and just, I'm, I'm not worthy. I am horrible. I am hopeless. Exactly. I am a piece of dung. Yeah. Yeah, and I do have a background of suicidal thoughts and attempts. And so my experience with an emotionally abusive woman was in my early 20s. Yeah. She was at least 20 years older than me. She never told me her actual age. Oh, and that was part of it. Yeah. And uh, she taught me, she was married. She told me all women cheat and just get used to it. And this is how life is and let's have fun. But she was an alcoholic and like really threw herself at me a couple of times. I'm trying to, oh no, man. And she was a manager where I worked. It's my first job out of college. So I'm like, no, no, no. And then like, oh, well, this is how adults are. You know, then there was a part like, I feel like an adult. I'm having an affair. How cool is this? And it wasn't that cool, but it was, it became destructive. And I had that hopeless. My distortion was, I feel so shameful and hopeless. Maybe I should kill myself or maybe I should propose. Like that's the, the extremes of both destructive ends that I was yeah. going to see. What, what ends up happening is a distorted sense of love. And what love is, we don't even know what love is. You know, it boils down to, I mean, you're living the, the Maggie May song by Rod Stewart. You know, there's this element of objectification and, and as men, we can never be objectified. Well, that's bullshit. We're, been objectified millions of times, you know, and that's the whole thing. I mean, we've got to cease the practice, all versions of inhumanity. We just have to stop it. 
And that's my commitment. And that's actually the gift of the whole thing is I am no longer going to practice inhumanity with anybody. It just doesn't work for me. Hmm. I wanted to ask if there was, in hindsight, in the moment, what was the biggest lesson? So realizing that even someone that you, you know, at times you might have hated and want to put down, you don't want to treat anyone like that. Is that it? Oh, listen, I don't hate her. I don't want to be around her. She's dangerous to me. She's kryptonite, you know? Like, I don't want to see her. I don't want to be around her. I don't even want, really want to talk to her. But I do, I don't hate her. I wish her well. I hope she finds peace, you know? I hope she finds love that she wants. I hope she finds fulfillment. I hope she gets everything she wants. I hope that for everyone. Yeah, that's the ultimate sign to me of forgiveness. Absolutely. I want the best for me. I want the best for them. And I just don't need to be part of their lives. I can't be. One of the big breakthroughs for this, so, so I grew up in a family, let's just say was mildly alcoholic, <laughs> right? And so the problem when you're around like a lot of alcohol and drug abuse is you don't have any idea what boundaries are. And all you want to do is make things cool, right? I didn't know what boundaries were until the lesson I got from this is boundaries. I, I get to say no. I get to say this one works, this one doesn't work. I get to say I can be part of this, I'm not part of this. I actually got my voice from it as opposed to a voice that was supposed to please others, I got the voice that fulfills me. And that's a big deal. I also had this belief that I'm at a place in my life where I don't think it's possible to be happier and more fulfilled than where I'm at right now, right? And to get here, I had to go through all those dark passageways to get here, right? And yes, some of them were really shitty, like really shitty. But in going through that, the lesson learned and the power that you learn and the ability to get through that is so freaking valuable. When I see it now, I just giggle. <laughs> That's all you got, you know? In doing what I do now too, that how that becomes valuable is I work with a lot of, you know, we talked about, I work with a bunch of leaders, right? And these guys are face-to-face with real life, hard decisions every single day. And who I get to be is that stand for them and kind of the Sherpa to walk them through that valley of darkness. Like, got this one handled. Come on. You think that stuff? I got some stories for you. Come on, let's go. You know? And not that I've been there and done it all, but it's you, you get some, some traction and some understanding and you get to really appreciate this experience of life. And I'm sure with, you know, your journey, I, I mean, my experience of you, you're like this guy that's so freaking grounded. And how you get to be that grounded is you go through a lot of places that are pretty freaking ugly. So and that's what I appreciate about you and what you're doing with the show. It's cool, you know? And what guys miss is when they dismiss this woman as a bitch or this or this or this, is they miss the opportunity to go through that valley of darkness for themselves to really work out what they need to work out. It's all a gift. Yeah, and I heard that saying so many times growing up, like, oh, there's a gift in your shit and be willing. Oh, you over. I'm like, fuck you. And in the moment, it sucks. It really sucks. It really sucks. It sucks like you can't believe. Yeah, I just make sure. Just because we're saying there's a win, there's there's a gift, there's something to get, doesn't mean in the moment you're like, oh, good, I'm learning something. This is is the best learning experience. No, dude, this is horrible. It's freaking horrible. It really blows. (laughs) (laughs) So have you heard other men speak about relationships like this, about feeling so shameful and feeling manipulated and lied. Is this something that guys in your circle would ever talk about? Not too often, man, because, and I know they've gone through them, but, you know, they keep it on the down low because of the shame piece, right? And they put it over. And the problem is when you can talk about it, when you can share about it, it actually generates that forgiveness so you can move forward. 
it's a form of grieving, man. Yeah, good point. Because yeah. you get to the point of acceptance. And dudes always stop at being angry. You know, I'm just pissed. Fuck that. Right? All that stuff, right? Yeah. It keeps us in victim mode. Absolutely. Like, it's all your fault. So you just keep saying, I'm the victim of that horrible, bitchy woman. Oh, it's a, it was all her fault. Then you just keep diminishing your own power. That's exactly it. You give them all the power. Listen, I'm a powerful dude. You do not. You want a chunk of this? Buckle up, kid. It's going to be an all-day ride. I mean, seriously. You may win, but I'm going to be there for a long time. Yeah. Unless you go, you know what? I give it all to you. This chaos has me confused and thinking it might be love or I'm loving this sex, but I'm hating the other part, but I don't know how to take it apart on my own. And you, you go along, you give your power away. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. And, and that's the only way you lose power is you give it away. No one can mm. take it from you. Right. No one. Yep. No one. And then you can reclaim it and you can own it and you can build upon it. You know, that's the real gift of the whole thing. So Awesome. So since we both agree that there are gifts in our horrible experiences, <laughs> we probably wish that we could recognize that earlier. Do you have any advice for having gone through what you've gone through? Is there any advice for a guy who's realizing, you know what? I think I'm with a sociopath. I think I'm being lied to and manipulated all the time. What would you advise? Any solutions you could offer? Get out of it as quickly as possible. You know, the only way out is through it, you know, so just exit, you know, don't try to work it out. And the other thing I would do is really locate yourself and understanding what's the real attraction. Is it really about the hot sex? Is that really what's driving you? And just be responsible for that. And then you can create the things that you want in a relationship. Just have it be hot sex, part of the thing I really need in a relationship. But I'm of a generation that made sex kind of dirty and kind of like forbidden a little bit, you know? So the hotness was kind of part of the attraction of it, right? Because I grew up Irish Catholic in the 60s in Chicago, right? And so sex was bad. And then you're having this amazing experience. Like, wow, I shouldn't be doing this. That's kind of the allure of it, right? Right. Even more adds to it. The mystique, the magic. Like, oh, I've found the one woman in the world that this is amazing with. There you know, might be exactly. that. Right. Yeah. And really start looking at that and getting responsible. The other thing, too, is I would seek therapeutic help. I mean, go see a therapist. There's a lot of great ones. I mean, I had, he's become a really dear friend of mine, but this guy at Oak Park, Illinois, Steve Parker, is, has been a godsend to me. And I still see him all the time. I mean, I don't see him all the time. I see him a couple times a year. And he tells me, you know, you're the healthiest guy I know. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but, but I just do just to check in, you know? Yeah. And I think that's another part of the shame. We've got this view of therapy as, oh, we must be broken. No. Professional athletes go to trainers and therapists all the time to keep themselves in top shape. If you're playing a big game, you need a you know, pit crew, you know? So I think we got to break all that shame and all that kind of stigma around all that stuff. Yeah, totally agree. That's why, you know, one of the big missions of Real Men Feel, things I say all the time, is silence kills men. Yeah. Shame adds to all that. And it's not about silent about one issue. It's silent about, you know, so many issues. And guys, are, you know, there's a litany of things that guys aren't willing to talk about. And we feel shameful about a lot more than just putting ourselves in relationships that aren't good for us as well. Well, that's why I'm doing ManFest, right? That's really why I wanted to invite you, because you would really get it. And the guys I'm bringing together, I'm not sure fully get it yet. They'll get it when they leave. <laughs> By the time they get out of there, you know, it's going to be really a curated experience for guys to really get that and start bringing things to the surface and to the open that we've never done. That's why the first one's going to be a small experience. You know, it's not going to be very big. But cool. Your goal is to have this event become, how often would you like to see twice it? Twice a year I want to do it. And I want it to grow to be a bigger event, but we got to start with a small one just so guys get the space of it, right? Yeah, you got to start where you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Earlier you mentioned that uh, men don't know about love. How might men learn and experience love easier, better, more deeply? 
And I think the first place they got to begin, and this may sound weird, is men have to begin to really accept and love themselves. I don't think it's possible to love another until you love yourself. And that was a really hard lesson for me to get to learn. And what I'm talking about loving ourselves, I'm not talking about that arrogant kind of, I'm the, you know, macho, tough, big, you know, I'm the best kind of, that's not what I'm talking about. Just getting who you are, all of it, everything you are, everything you aren't getting the journey, loving the journey, getting the background, loving the family you came from, loving the town you came from, loving the challenges you went through. I think until you get there, it's going to be difficult to really get what love is because we always view love as something external, something to go and get. It's ever present. Yeah, I find time and time again in my own life, work with clients, if I don't love myself, no one else can fill that void. No matter how hard I try, no matter how hard they try, can't be done. Well, and I think that's where we get caught up in the trade back with sex, right? You know, we're trying to, well, I'll just go get laid, you know? Oh, that'll make things way better. (laughs) I mean, it always turns into a bigger shit show. And we can't fill that void. The only people that can fill that void for us is us. The first workshop I ever did was called Self-Love for Men. No, this isn't about masturbation. I had uh, five brave strangers that show up and, and I was like, oh my, and I was so reactive before it. I got toxic poison ivy. My whole head was swollen okay. and I was like talking to energy works and like, and I had someone actually able to turn the itch off. I'm just swollen. looks like bad Rocky movie, all sorts of stuff. And I got that. This is all my own reaction, all my resistance. So like, who am I to talk about self-love? Yeah. So I had to show up disfigured. You know, I'm here because I love myself. And guys told me they could see the swelling go down through the course of these two hours that I spoke about our willingness to have self-love. And it was ended up being an amazing experience. So much of the experience we have of life is self-generated. So much of it. And that's what's both cool and like crazy too. But yeah. So realizing that you got gifts from it, and again, but it might have taken longer than you wish if you were plotting how it would work. Yeah. Is there anything that would have helped you avoid this? Or did you need this experience so that you could become the man you are today? Well, I wish I would have avoided it. But the truth is, I think this is just my journey. I think this is the way. I wouldn't have designed it this way. I would have really wished it could have been truncated. But I learned, you know, the most valuable lessons were near the end. You know, so you had to go all the way through it. So, yeah, I, unfortunately, I think, yeah. Had to. You know? Awesome. So, is there anything else that you would like someone in that relationship or who's just beginning to go out there or maybe someone that's been hurt and thinks that, you know, it's, it's all them? Any last bits of advice for in the dating world, I guess, maybe? I think the biggest thing is just everything is recoverable, right? Every mistake you make, as long as you have breath, you've got a chance to put it in the right direction. So, just forgive yourself and bring a sense of humor to it. I mean, think about how funny it is when you're making every decision just based on getting laid, right? <laughs> you're literally thinking with your penis, right? I don't know about you, but I've noticed the penis is not really bright at, you know, problem solving, you know, <laughs> good at problem creation, but not problem solving. And so just bring a sense of humor to it. Just get when you're a horny dude, you know, <laughs> like be responsible. You know, cool. I'm in my 60s. I still sometimes think, God, when am I going to stop being a horny dude? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I find that, again, clients all the time tell them that when you can laugh at something, when you bring the power of levity to something, that shows your healing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you can't laugh all the time, then there's bigger issues. Yeah, for sure. Mike, I really appreciate your willingness to break through that resistance, to share about this. We both agree this is happening to way too many guys. And I think it happens to too many guys because not enough guys are willing to say, I've been through this. 
you can get through it if you find yourself in there. It's not something to be shameful over for the rest of your life, but get help, get support, end it. Yeah, I think it's even more challenging today because I think our culture is a little more narcissistic than it was even 15, 20 years ago. You know? So I think it's more prevalent. So yeah, and if you catch yourself in this, man, get out. And if you need help, reach out to somebody. Yeah. I mean, have them reach out to you. Have them reach out to me. I don't care. Yeah. Like get out and then stay out. Right. We all bring our wounds with us. And if we never address them, never look at them, never give them a chance to breathe and to heal, then we're just living life and seeing life through all this like scar tissue. And it keeps distorting it more and more. And each relationship can get worse and worse instead of better and better. Well, I don't know if you've seen this, but when guys bring brokenness or injury into another situation, be it work or relationship or that, they tend to like create this barrier. Like, I'm not going to go here and I'm not going to go here and I'm not going to go here. And what is happening? You have this really limited perspective on life. And this really constrained viewpoint of what's possible and what I can do and what I can't do. That's not good either. So yeah, when you forgive stuff, it just opens shit up. Right. Yeah. Life is meant to be expansive. And even, you know, visions of masculinity and to be a man and what's sex. Every time we try to label something or put a a constraint around it, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Yeah. So if we could get more guys to like, I'm feeling really shameful today, you know, (laughs) and own that. Like how transformative would that be? Well, think about George Costanza and Larry David. Why are they so funny? Because the shame is just out in the open and it's yeah. funny, right? And they own it fully. That's why that stuff is so funny because it's so human. You're right. They, yeah, they don't bury anything. They don't hold it back. Yeah. I mean, the whole shrinkage episode, if there's anything more shameful, it's shrinkage. The water was cold. <laughs> I mean, that stuff is just hilarious, right? Yeah. And we got to get our sense of humor back. Awesome. Well, again, silence kills men. I hope we're waking some people up realizing, you know, whatever you've been through, whatever you're hiding, that's giving it its power. That's giving your shadow all of your energy and focus. And, you know, we all deserve better than that. Deserve to feel self-love. And it's only when you have that self-love, you can love others and receive love, truly healthy love. Yeah. Cool. So Mike, what's the best way for people to find out what you're up to and learn about Manifest if there's still uh, room for that for people? Manfest is not an open event. It's not, I'm not going out there inviting the whole world to that because it's, it's really a select group and it's a curated event. And so, but there will be some information on Manfest and Manfest too may be a much bigger event. So, but the best way to get a hold of me is you can go to my website. I just got a new website up. It's www.mikesherrick.com. So it's my name. There was a ton of marketing went into figuring out the name of the website. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's the first time I ever had a website after my name. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can uh, hit me up with my email, mikesherrick at gmail.com. Yeah. And don't forget my book. <laughs> yeah, throw <laughs> it out there. Book, Manhood Manifesto on Amazon. That's coming out like a month and three days. Something like cool. That. All right. Yeah. Visit realmanfield.org. The show notes for the episode. We'll have links to everything Mike's up to, links to the, the book as well. Because I'm sure you can pre-order it even if it's... Oh, yeah. It's, it's available. Yeah, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. If you find yourself going through hell, Churchill said, you know, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. Don't stop. Clarify that. Doesn't mean keep going in this awful relationship. No. You know, call. It's like, no, this is horrible. It's draining me. It's literally killing me. You deserve better. You're worthy of better. Once you get under the thumb of giving your power away and you believe the lies and the manipulation because there's something wrong with me, that's a horrible place to live. And you don't have to stay there. Absolutely. Cool. Awesome. So wherever you're discovering Real Men Feel, give us a like, a share, subscription. Let someone else, let a guy know that he should listen to this. You can literally save a life by sharing the right show with somebody else. Yep. So I invite you to do that. And until next time, thanks, Mike. Thanks for everyone for listening. And be good to yourself. I will. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure.